0: How many fisher Fisher people do we have here? People like fishing, Mike, anybody else? Jeff, know fish, anybody else fish? Bob, doesn't want to raise his hand, but Bob fishes. We just called him out. So I got off to a really rough start with fishing, which I'm gonna describe. Two of my uncles are fishermen. One was a commercial fisherman, Until he had this nasty fall He like broke his neck or his back Um, And that was it for him And my other uncle was like a fisherman For sport, so I was a kid And I think the first time I went fishing My sport fishing uncle Took me out on his boat in the beautiful Puget Sound, unbelievable Surroundings, like I still remember Going out into the deep Waters one morning really early This boat ride was like the most fun Thing I've ever experienced I couldn't Believe how much fun it was, but then we started fishing. I was horrified when he caught the undesirable fish, the dogfish, as he called it. He would reel them in, upset that these like monsters were filling up the oceans. <laughs> and he would do one of two things: he would smash them on the head with a hammer, or he would grab them by the tail, smash them on the side of the boat, and throw them back. Into the ocean like a piece of trash, right? This is probably like, Mike is like, got I do this all the time. It's no big deal. This is what we do. Is it true? You, is that like a normal thing? Um, I don't do that.
1: But I mean, <laughs> yeah, what have you said? Yeah, I do that every day. Like, I love doing things in
0: Yeah, sorry, I totally clicked on the spot. What answer are you going to give I would probably do some of that, though. Yeah. I would imagine. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I was horrified as a little kid, right? So, and my uncle's like this deeply Christian man. Um, but what I realized in that moment was that we were praying for two, like, radically different things. Like, he's praying that he's going to catch the right kind of fish. I'm praying that, please, God, do not let me catch anything. So that I do not have to hit any living creature over the head with a hammer, right? Like, after this traumatic experience, I hardly ever fished again until adulthood, Right? So, every summer, the guys in my small group take a fly-fishing trip to the mountains. This, is a big, this was like a moment for me, right? Like, the first of these trips, I don't know, somewhere around nine years ago, it brought back these horrible memories of this fishing experience that I had with my uncle. Like these, I was thinking in my head, like, this fish-smashing experience that's, like, permanently ingrained in my mind. And at first, when we started talking about going fly-fishing, I'm like, Ugh, I don't know if I really want to go. You know, like, I don't want to smash anything. Um, and then, I was like, this was great. I was thrilled to learn that on these trips, we were going to use barbless hooks, and we were going to release all the fish unharmed back into the, well, sort of unharmed, but you know what I mean. You catch them, you put them back, you hope they live. Um, so, my, my anxiety still got the better of me. I still prayed the same fishing prayer that I had, like, 30 years ago. And my prayer was, God, I'm really happy to be with my friends, enjoying this beautiful place, but please... Do not allow me to catch any fish. Okay? It's no joke. I, I don't think I've told. I've ever, ever, ever told you this. I've even admitted it to the guys that I that I go with. You know, this is the first time I've confessed this. And for two whole days, God answered my prayer. In my life. I caught nothing. But everyone else is like, reeling in fish every couple of minutes, and I'm like, yeah, this is awesome. And they're feeling bad for me. Guy, our, you know, our guy uh, is like, oh, I'm so sorry you're not catching me. I'm like, I'm smiling. on that at the time of my life. This is awesome. Um, and then with about 20 minutes left of fishing, after two full days of fishing, like I spotted this beast of a fish, this defiant trout. That was watching these fake flies just go right by the front of his face and didn't move a muscle. Okay, and I'm like, you know what? What the heck? I'm gonna give this a few casts. So I move over uh, to see if this guy might be hungry for the little wooly bugger that I have on the uh, tie down to my line, right? And so 20 minutes go by, nothing, and we're like, oh, one more cast. This is God sends a human. Yeah. on my very last cast, eyewitness, I caught that fish. Here he is. <coughs> yeah. uh, dude, that thing's huge. You can see where it came out of. Alright? <laughs> like, the fish in there are not that big. That thing is a monster. Um, like, I'm not gonna lie. Like, I was. It was a thrill to catch this fish. It was really cool. Uh, my friends were more excited than me because they had no idea that I had prayed a prayer. they said, please, God, don't let me catch any fish. Um, and so the best part maybe of this whole experience for me was releasing the fish back and watching the things swim away, hopefully a little wiser and a little less willing to fall for the next fake fly that dangles in front of him. Um, I had caught a fish and there were no hammers and there were no violence involved in this fish catching. So it's like I could sleep that night. It was really, it was really fun. Today's miracle story is about this super abundant catch of fish. It's another epiphany of the divine. And the thing that stood out to me this time when I was reading the story again is that the fish that Jesus wants to catch, they're very much alive. It's really important to this story. Very, very important. Jesus catches us not with hammers or any other violent means, but catches and then releases us so that we might have this abundant life and join Jesus on mission that brings life to others. Like, I'm down with this kind of fishing. Anybody else? All right, let's let's pray. God, the source of all light, by your word, give light to our lives and illumine our path, that we might walk in your ways. Amen. All right, let's go deep sea fishing with Jesus. On this trip, we're going to see a couple things. We're going to experience abundance. We're going to see this call to discipleship and to this life-giving mission. So here we go. Luke 5, 1-11. one to Love. Once while Jesus was standing beside the lake of Gennesaret, and the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he saw two boats there at the shore of the lake. The fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little way from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. When he finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water." and let your nets down for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked all night long, but we have caught nothing. Sounds like my usual choice. Yet if you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done this, they caught so many fish that their nets were beginning to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all who were with him were amazed at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Then Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid, from now on you will be catching people. When they had brought their boats to shore, they left everything and followed him. Word of the Lord. And so in this passage, we have miracle, teaching, discipleship. They all kind of weave together to form this tapestry that explains mission and who is qualified for mission. Many rabbis have gathered students to teach them Torah, but something about Jesus' disciples, these disciples, are really different than what was going on around them. Jesus wasn't calling the religious professional types. Fishermen, tax collectors, revolutionaries. Jesus doesn't call the perfect. Jesus doesn't call the morally fit. Jesus calls imperfect humans of every kind to follow and to be transformed by God's healing, grace, and forgiveness. And so Jesus is beside the Sea of Galilee. Here it's called Lake Gennesaret. Uh, with the crowd pressing in on him, demanding to hear the word of the Lord, so he commandeers a boat, the boat of Simon, whom Luke tells us Jesus had already met in chapter four. So if you're wondering, like he just walked up to some random guy and took his boat in close. They probably they probably had met in chapter four, assuming we're working chronologically here. And so Simon, who was later renamed Peter, his brother Andrew, and these two other brothers, James and John, they're small business owners, they're partners. Uh, in the fishing business. They had survived a brutal night of fishing. The only reason that there was any room in the boat for Jesus at all was the fact that they had caught zero fish. right? Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't even be able to fit in the boat. They're angry, they're frustrated, they're having to prepare to go home to see their families with no money to show for their hard work. Empty hand. Peter obliges, he takes the teacher out to see so that he can do his thing. We have no idea what Jesus taught that day. That's not what's important to Luke. What's important to Luke is that Peter is coming into focus. And Jesus tells Peter, put out into the deep water and let your nets down for a catch. There's more than a little irony here. Most likely what, the son of a stonemason or a carpenter telling the professional fisherman how to fish. Like This is like me telling my daughter's best friend, A3, who comes here once in a while, who's a four-point-something math major at California State Channel Islands? that's like me telling her how to do calculus. (laughs) The truth is, I don't even know what calculus is. (laughs) That's no joke. I don't even know what it is. Um, He offers Peter this unsolicited advice. Of course Peter thinks this is an exercise in futility. Against his professional judgment, he begrudgingly puts the boat out into the deep waters and drops the nets. The master gave him a command. Peter was responsible. The result was, of course, the single biggest catch of his life. Like, think about it this way. This is Peter's winning lottery ticket. This guy strikes gold, and he is going to take that winning lottery ticket, set it down, and walk away from it. This is amazing stuff, what's happening here. There are so many fish, they have to enlist the, uh, the boat of James and John just all, all these things in, right? And so hopefully this reminds us of something. A few weeks ago, uh, there was uh, another text that we looked at at the wedding of Canaan. This should remind us of that. This super abundant catch of fish uh, it reminds us that of that miracle that we looked at a couple weeks ago where Jesus produces what? I think I estimated somewhere around 900 bottles of the world's finest wine for wedding guests at the, this wedding in Canaan, right? It's another, this epiphany in Jesus, Simon Peter realizes that he's in the presence of the divine and he offers some resistance. He's so overwhelmed, much like there's some other biblical characters that it reminded me of, Moses, Isaiah, Jeremiah, uh, that came before him. All he can see when he looks at himself in the presence of Jesus is his own unworthiness, right? His own sinfulness in the presence of the divine. What we just did in confession when he let us in a few moments ago, this is a little different here. Normally, we confess, then at the end, when we read our assurance of pardon, this reminder uh, that we're forgiven. Here is reverse. It's really fascinating that first Peter receives grace, the abundant catch. And then, in the presence of the divine, he experiences this feeling of unworthiness and confesses. Right? So, it's really interesting to my mind, that before the miracle, Peter addresses Jesus as Master. This nice respectful title for a Jewish rabbi. After the fish catch that almost sinks their boat, he addresses Jesus as Lord. Okay? It's quite a change. And the big bigger change in his life is even uh, yet to come. So Peter first feels like a professional failure as a fisherman. He's caught nothing. Now he feels like this moral failure in the presence of Jesus and it's fascinating. All he can think about is one thing. Jesus, just go away. Like He just wants Jesus to disappear and be gone. You know, Leave him in his, uh, whatever, this state that he's in. He wants Jesus to leave him alone. It's just some really raw, real stuff when we get to this point in the story. And it's like, I don't know about you, but how often in contemplating your own foolishness have we felt this overwhelming sense of our own unworthiness. It's never happened to anybody before. And as we see, Jesus is not going to leave Peter overwhelmed or feeling unworthy because he's got something that he wants Peter to do. He's got a job for him and Peter needs to learn a whole new trade but the interesting thing is it's really closely connected to his job. So what are we what's going on here, right? A few things reading in between the lines that I want to share to kind of finish this up. First, is that it's this is kind of the point I think that it's Simon Peter who's the one that ends up getting caught by the wide net of God's mercy and luck. This is where the focus is, and so we often just stop at the miraculous catch of fish and think uh, that the miracle is the point of the story. But people that study scripture, when we read the Bible, we know that the miracles always point to something beyond themselves. And so you think about this on the routine, an ordinary day in this life, this professional fisherman fishing the Sea of Galilee just like he did every other day. He's the one that ends up getting caught. He's caught by surprise. He never sees this coming. No, no, Mike, what kind of fish would they be fishing for in the Sea of Galilee? Do you have any idea? I'm not really sure. Man, they're not, it's fresh water, right? St. Peter's So it's not the cod and salmon and rockfish that... Nah, none of those. Um, but what was Jesus fishing for, right? Jesus was fishing for Peter. And so Jesus wanted Peter's attention. He got it. Jesus wanted Peter's heart. He got it. He wants Peter's life, and he's going to have it. And the second thing that interested me was that God's call, uh, God calls ordinary people to discipleship and mission. right? And so this is really important, especially to like us church planner types. We talk about this stuff all the time. Like Jesus isn't looking for professional Christians, right? He's not looking for professional Christians. Jesus calls Peter just as he is, no college degree, no theological education, a guy who went. All right, let to put it this way: He's the guy who skipped worship on Sunday mornings to go fishing, right? This is who Peter is. He doesn't have to get his act together. Doesn't he prepare this resume? Because human sin and failure are not obstacles to God's cause. This is really important in this passage. So Jesus looks at Peter, not as someone who's unworthy. He doesn't see Peter's sin and failure. He looks at Peter, and he sees Peter for who he really is. This beloved child of God. He also sees Peter, interestingly, for who he could and would become. And I think this is also really important. A man with so much potential to change and shape the world, he sees Peter as a leader of disciples, a fisher of human beings. And so God first calls us and then shapes us. And so many of us have been caught in this wide net of God's love and mercy. This love and mercy transforms lives. But the real of it is that, like Peter, if you're anything like me, how often do we resist putting out into the deep waters? Of this, is, this is where we're, we get real for a moment, when Jesus asks us to go. Now, here's what you need to know about the sea. Very uh, powerful symbol of chaos to 1st century Jews. They are terrified of the deep water. The deep waters take us out of our comfort zone to a place where God can reshape our priorities. They take us out of the comfort and familiarity of the church. And they plunge us into the deep waters of chaos out there around us in the world, right? So, for those of us that have, will actually self-identify as Presbyterian, because there are a few of us, we hate chaos, right? What's our motto, Dale? Decent male. That's right. Everything, in decency, and order. <laughs> well, guess what? Jesus ain't Presbyterian.
1: (laughs) So we're going to have to get used
0: to a little more chaos in our lives. Because Jesus is asking us, like Peter, to drop our nets into the deep waters of chaos all around us. And it's like, as I was thinking about this, I'm like, wow, the threat of chaos is everywhere. Because here's a few deep water things to think about, right? Our own struggle in this country over our own identity. We wonder who are we in this country today. Racism, polarized national politics, doesn't matter what side you're on. Tense international relations, environmental concerns, growing divide between the rich and the poor, these are like, these are deep water issues. These are real things around us right now. Just a few, we could go on and on and on. And Jesus reminds the church that we're to let down our nets into the deep water for a catch. And the reason for this is pretty simple. That's where the fish are. That's the reason we're asked to do this. Simon resisted going into the deep waters with Jesus. He finally capitulates. He's blown away by the biggest catch of his career. It's this miracle that's supposed to help us reflect on Christ's mission in the world. Jesus says, follow him into mission." Into the deep waters of chaos, into the real issues with real people. And Luke reminds us of this mission in his sequel, we call it Acts in the New Testament. And he writes, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, there's the baby pool. You're in about a foot of water. In all Judea, eh, it's waist deep. In Samaria, it's over your head at this point and to the ends of the earth, right? This is is what he writes later. And so this story serves as this call to follow Jesus on a mission to reorient our lives around God's priorities. Um, And we don't have to wait until we feel worthy or ready. Jesus says, just like he did to Peter, you're worthy today. You're ready today. Jesus will now catch people through Simon Peter, So it is with us that Jesus wants to catch people through you and through me. Jesus asks us to follow him into the deep waters of chaos of real life because that's where people need Jesus the most. Now fishing carries with it. We started off, we'll go back, we started off with this connotation, this kind of violent image of of fishing. The fish that Peter caught in those nets, they didn't live, right? You know that. Um, The dogfish that my uncle smashed on the side of the boat or hit over the head with a hammer and threw back, they didn't make it. And so, to me, this is really important. This is where I just want to be clear for one second. And this is my own inner thing. Like, this is not the group of people who needs to hear this, but I feel as if I must say it. So I want to be super clear about this. There's no disposable people, right? Violence of any kind is not justified by some envisioned positive outcome. This is important in this story And I'll tell you why in just a second Mission never requires a hammer Unless you're building a (laughs) habitat house And the thing is Too much of Christianity's colonial and imperialist past Has perpetrated violence On all kinds of marginalized people groups And subcultures here and around the world And this is not what we're talking about here Hammers are not required in God's kingdom what we see instead is exactly what we see in this story. We see instead that grace, love, and mercy are the things required in this kingdom. And so this is where words get really important. This is where I'll be particular for one for one word. Peter gets a vocation change. He's supposed to be a fisherman of sorts. Jesus says, Don't be afraid, from now on you'll be catching people. The Greek word here for catching, this is where words are important. It's used very, very rarely in Scripture. And it means to catch alive. That means something in this text. Like, this is important. Simon is caught alive in the wide nets of Jesus' love and mercy. He's caught unharmed and then released to join Jesus on mission. Simon being caught by Jesus actually comes alive like he'd never been alive before in his entire life. This guy, because of this, is going to change the world with 11 other people. <laughs> right? His life is never going to be the same. What, what is this text saying to us? People are to be caught alive, not bludgeoned with a hammer. We enter into the chaos of others, not with a hammer to smash people into believing, but we're going with us, his love The love and mercy of Jesus Christ—the same love and mercy that Jesus showed Peter, the same love and mercy that Jesus shows each of us. Why? So that in Jesus, people might come become truly alive and live this abundant life in Him. And so, the call to follow Jesus is life giving for the disciples, and it's life giving.